Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. So I am going to be talking this morning about the wonder and joy of salvation. And, and I feel what I'm telling you this morning is really a strategy for stability and strength in your life. Being able to maintain a, a state of joy and wonder about your salvation is going to be a stabilizing force in your Christian walk. And I'll prove it to you with the Bible. See, I believe God has called us to be steady in all seasons. And I don't know fully what's ahead. I don't have revelation knowledge of what's going to happen next month. But I know that some of you are in trials, and I know that new trials will come. And I know that if you remain aware of your salvation, of what Jesus has done for you, and not only what he's done, but what he will do, for you, it will anchor your heart in a hope that no person, no job, no curse, no hex, no spell, no generational sin can keep from you. Amen? So, I, uh, I'm a father of three. You might see my little ones running around here. I have three girls. And uh, my youngest just celebrated, we celebrated her birthday yesterday, so we had like a little birthday celebration. My youngest daughter, her name is Flo, and she just turned three. And so we were preparing for all the celebrations yesterday. My wife and I always like to do more than we should when it comes to birthday parties. So Vanessa, who's my wife, she was taking my older one to a dance thing, and I was in charge of decorations, which let me tell you, that's not my forte. Um, so here I am, like, it's a princess party, so I've got all my princess decor, and, uh, and I have Lilu, my middle daughter, with me, and she's six, and so it's me and Lilu, and we're setting up princess, you know, dresses, and, you, you know, you, you, you go there, we did it all, and so I pull out this box, right, and inside there is a cardboard castle, I'm kidding you not, it's like this big, and so I, I've got to figure out how to set up this cardboard castle. And I'm racking my brain. I'm looking. There's like a, you know, there's like terrible instruction manuals that don't tell you anything. It's like place the one thing there over here. And you're like, what? Like, so I've got my manual out, and I'm, I'm getting frustrated. And uh, my little one, or my middle one, Lilu, she's already playing in the castle, yet the castle is not fully set up. So she's got a princess doll, and they're, they're, they're on some sort of escapade, right? They're going to they're gonna gallivant over here, and they're going to do this over there, and they're, they're doing whatever they're doing. And I'm just annoyed. I'm just like, I need to set this cardboard castle up, and i got one hour to do this, and i got a ton of little kids that are coming, and this has to get done. And so I get to a point of frustration. I'm like, Lila, would you just, just cut it out? Like, can't you see I'm doing something important right here? And she just kind of ignores me a little bit. But the Holy Spirit, like, really convicted me in that moment. And in a gentle and kind, loving way like he does. And I felt the Lord say, no, actually, she has the right attitude. It's your attitude that needs to change. And I was like, okay, Lord, and, and uh, all right. And, and really, it began to remind me that I'm preparing for a celebration. 
Like, like, why am I being so serious? Why am I getting so caught up in all these little things that need to be done instead of having a celebratory posture, just like my little child, Lily was? She's already enjoying the party and hasn't even started yet. And so I was convicted, and I hope you are too. <laughs> but how many of you know this state of wonder and joy, which children exude, is the posture of the Christian. This is how we are called to live in so many moments, in every moment in that sense. Oh, thank you. In every moment of our life, we have, we have every reason to have a posture of joy and wonder when it comes to our salvation, in every moment. Because in fact, our whole life is we are moving forward to a moment that the culmination of our salvation is a celebration. It's a wedding feast. And at that wedding feast, we are going to party like you've never partied before. And so we should celebrate now. We should have joy and wonder as we wait to the fullness of our salvation. Because how many know salvation, it was an event. It was a moment. And for those of you that are saved, it was the moment you believed when you confessed with your mouth and you believed in your heart, you were saved in that moment. But your salvation is also a process. You are also being saved in this very moment, and you will experience the fullness of that salvation in the age to come. So we're preparing for a party, and our posture must be joy and wonder. But how many of you know that posture is not easy in this world? It's not easy because you, if you're honest human being, would recognize that there is something deeply wrong inside of you. You'd recognize there is something broken inside of humanity. There is something distorted in this world that sin has come in and corrupted the human heart. And sin has come in and rebellion has, has come in and destroyed so many things that would, we are supposed to enjoy in this life, including God himself. And so when you were born into this world, in a sense, you were born into a war zone. A war zone where their powers of darkness are warring against God and the powers of light for your attention. And they are attempting to destroy and distort everything that's good that God intended for you and I to enjoy, including our relationship with him himself. And so in this world, in this war zone, it's so easy to become dissatisfied, frustrated, downtrodden, hopeless, and in despair. Because you see the things around you and you forget the God who actually created all things good and who's going to redeem all the destruction and evil and wickedness around you for a good purpose. It's so easy to not see God for who he is because of the world we live in. So I want to give you today four strategies for staying in this posture of wonder and hope when it comes to your salvation in Jesus. Four strategies, all right? So number one, wonder and joy, one of the things they come from, they come from knowing where God's brought you from. Do you know that? It's actually not a bad thing to go back and think and remember of where you were when Jesus met you. Because over time, we get a little forgetful, and we begin to think that our life now was the way it was when Jesus first came into our life. 
And when you go back and you, and you remember where he brought you, this well of gratitude rises up in you. This, this joy and wonder of how much further he could take you, but also what he could do in other people. I felt that today when Bill was praying, like, God, would you break off any unbelief? I, I saw the shackles and the unbelief that I have that God would touch these other people. And God was like, if I touched you that way, how could I not touch him and her and these people and those people? And, and, and so anyway, God was breaking in to me in that place today. But it came from going back and remembering where I came from, where he's brought me through. I want to read Job 9, verse 33 through 35. You can turn with me in your Bible or on your phone. It says this. If only there was someone to mediate between us. Someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me, so that this, his terror would frighten me no more. Then I would speak up without fear of him. But as it now stands with me, I cannot. The oldest book of the Bible, Job. And here he is articulating the need for a savior, the need for a mediator, because of his understanding of the condition of the human heart. That sin had corrupted humanity in such a way that a mediator was needed. And God has implanted in his word this phrase <laughs> so that he could fulfill it. So that Christ could come and be that mediator. See, even in the Old Testament, there's so many references to the coming of Christ. Because they understood their need and their sin. They just didn't know that the fulfillment would be Christ himself. That God would come in the flesh and bleed and die for his people and be raised again that we could have new life. They didn't know it, but they knew humanity was wicked and sinful and they needed a mediator. Turn with me to Psalm 103. Here's David articulating the Lord's compassion and his ability to deal with sin even before it's been dealt with by Christ. Psalm 103 verse eight. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. See, David understood the compassion and grace and abounding love of God. And so even when he didn't see fully how it would come to work out, he knew that God would somehow take on our iniquities, take on our sins, pardon us. Because of what? Because of, what? Because of his grace. Because of his abounding mercies. Romans 5, we see the fulfillment of these, of the need for a mediator in the person of Jesus Christ. Romans 5, verse 6 says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were powerless, we had no power over sin. You and I didn't have power over sin before we had Jesus. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, Jesus went to the cross for you. 
Not only were you a sinner, you were an enemy with God. You've rebelled. You were born into sin. You were rebellious towards God. And even in that state, he said, I'll take your place. I'll live your life, and I'll do it perfectly. I'll die the only, the only perfect death so that you can live a new life. And so Christ meets us in the, our, in the state of sin and wickedness of our heart, and he saves us. And as far as the east is from the west, can't do that with, with a mic in my hand. As far as the east is from the west, so your sins are removed by the blood of the lamb. When you choose to follow Jesus, when you give your heart to him, your sins are removed from east to west. When he stretched his arms out on the cross, he was covering the whole length of your sin. God wants to give you a fresh assurance today of the saving power of the blood of Jesus. If you've given your life to him, you've given your heart to him, Rich was praying about earlier, he wants to challenge the shame and condemnation that the enemy would love to put on the children of God. But if you've given your heart to him, you've given your life to him, his blood covers your sin. I can guarantee you that. And so rest assured, he loves you and he saved you. And he wants to give you today fresh joy and wonder of his saving power. Number two, wonder and joy come from knowing you were saved by God's grace alone. Wonder and joy come from knowing you were saved by God's grace alone. Turn with me to Ephesians 2, verse 6 through 9. It says this, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Did you catch that? It's still coming, some of this. The incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. I don't know about you, but I love to work for things. I am an overachiever, and I love, I want to get an A. I want to get, I want to get everything, and I want to do it. To the full extent, I want to do it right. But I did not work a lick for my salvation. It was grace all the way down. Even your ability to seek God and choose God is grace. You were so corrupted by sin, you couldn't even choose God. And so sometimes we get so deep into God, like years later, we forget that grace got us into this thing, and grace is going to carry us through. You have to know it was grace that you were saved, and there's grace for sanctification, which is the coming into the fullness of who you are, coming into the image of God, growing and being discipled by Christ. There's grace today, just as there was grace the day you were saved. And we need fresh wonder and joy that this grace has been freely given to us. And so, God, would you help us today to freely receive this powerful grace that we could not work for, that we could not earn. Lord, let it be new every morning. I pray that his grace would be new every morning for you. I, I believe there's some of you that, that like in the morning, it just feels dull. It just feels like here's another day. Here's another struggle. And the Lord wants to take you back to the joy of your initial salvation, but he wants to give you a joy in your coming salvation as well today. And I really believe that there's going to there's gonna be an impartation today of this fresh joy and wonder 
For those of you that it was exuberant the day you got saved, but now in the morning time, it's just like, well, hope I survive. I hope I make it. This is not our portion. It's okay to go through those cycles, but that's not your normal. Your normal is joy and wonder because of what Christ has done. And God wants to give just fresh faith today in what he's done, fresh belief. Now, this week I woke up one morning and I have no idea how this happened. It must be the Holy Spirit because I had this rando song just start flooding my ears. You ever had that? Like, and like sometimes there's songs you really don't like, you know, like what's that? There's like some terrible ones out there. I'm not going to sing them, but they get stuck in your head like, and it's, it's terrible. But the one that I had, um, it was, it's a kid's song and I have no idea where I heard it. I really don't know. It's rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice. She's got it. That, that clap was right on time. And so I'm like, whoa, like where, what is this resounding in my ears? I'm like, I don't even know when I listen to this, like, where's this coming from? And I just keep hearing it all day long. And now I'm singing it and now it's stuck. And, and I'm like, Lord, what are you saying? What are you speaking? And I begin to dialogue with the Lord about this. Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say rejoice. Philippians, man, these clappers are good. Philippians chapter four, verse four, that's the verse that this song is, is from. But the Lord spoke to me and said, it's not just the words, it's the way I conveyed it to you. And so I'm like, well, how do you convey it? He conveyed it through a child's song. This is a, chi- this is a children's verse. And, and so the Lord's like, go to that verse, but hear it in the tone of a child, of, with, with childlike joy and wonder. And so I'm gonna read that verse to you. Philippians 4, verse four through five says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. This verse is loaded. How many of you know you can't read a verse and just take it on face value? There's a, it's an iceberg sort of thing because there's a whole depth behind it. So if I was to come up here and I would just be like, all right, church, we're going to read, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And then I just close the Bible and we move on. It's like that would not be the tone to share this verse in which Paul wrote in prison and in which we have three full chapters that explain why he's telling them to rejoice. See, Paul is telling them to rejoice and I'll start, I'll just start running through the chapters here. He says, rejoice in the one who began his good work in you and who has the power to complete it. Rejoice in the one who even though your life's being poured out like a drink offering, you're in prison, you're being persecuted, you're being hated on by your own people, he is faithful till the end. Rejoice in the one who has the power to make you a citizen in the kingdom of God and to take you there despite your worries and your fears and your failures. Rejoice in the one who has the power to transform your lowly body, to give you a new body and to place you in the new heavens and in the new earth where his glory will fill and his presence will be shining on you like the sun. Rejoice in that one 
Even though you're in prison, even though your life sucks, even though you're frustrated and in pain, even though you've been naked and destitute, rejoice because I will finish what I've started. Your salvation is secure and boy, it's going to get better. This is the context of rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And even as I was singing this, I just see some of you, you're singing this in your job. You're singing this over your family. You're singing this in those hard moments where you feel all the things that Paul felt, but you're saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. The Spirit of God in you is calling you to, re- to enjoy the salvation that is yet before you. Even as you look back and rejoice in what's already been done on the cross and what you know lies ahead. All right, number three. (laughs) Wonder and joy comes from knowing he is with you now. Wonder and joy comes from knowing he's with you now. See, David, he pens this psalm. I'm going to read it to you, Psalm 51. And he pens it in a season of extreme shame and guilt and sin. David writes this after he has had adultery. He's committed adultery with Bathsheba. He's murdered her husband, and his whole kingdom is being destroyed because of his actions. And he comes to the Lord, and he writes this psalm, and I want to read it to you out of that context. Hear the cry of his heart. Hear what he's asking of God. He says to the Lord, and this is uh, Psalm 51, starting at verse 10, if you want to turn with me there. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant a willing spirit to sustain me. See, David's crying out. David's repenting and David's asking the Lord, would you make my heart pure? Would would you cleanse me for what I've done? Many of us, we would do well to follow in David's footsteps. We would do well when we feel conviction, not to just say, well, I just rejoice in the Lord. No, that's the time to repent to the Lord. When you feel his conviction, repent to him, and then let him lavish you with his love. Let that mercy and grace flow over you just as David experienced, and from that place, you get to rejoice. But it's this reality of he's asking the Lord to purify him, but he's asking for one other thing. He says this, take not your presence from me. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. So he's asking for two things, for his heart to be cleansed, but for God not to leave him, for God to remain near to him. You see, God's nearness, it speaks volumes for who he is. When you got saved, like your, your event of salvation, if you, when, if you gave your life to the Lord, the Spirit of God came and invaded your heart. And now he resides in you, and he will never leave you or forsake you. And that reality, God wants to give fresh joy and wonder that the God of the universe would even come into your heart. What does that say about your worth and value? What does that say about his ability to keep you all the days of your life and in the age to come? That he would come and dwell in his people. It says a lot about who our God is, and it should give us joy and wonder that this is how he operates. John 14, 18 says this. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
And they probably didn't fully understand that at the moment. They didn't even, when Jesus died, um, they didn't even understand what was going on. But what he was doing, he was talking to them, and you read the larger context, about the promise of the Holy Spirit. He was saying, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. He said that as Matthew. He's saying that not because he's physically going to be here, but he's going to send the Spirit of God, and they're three in one, to come dwell in our midst that we would know we're not orphans. The Spirit of God in you cries out, Abba, Father. And even that cry of Daddy, God, it's a reminder that you're adopted, and it's a, it's a joy and a wonder that that's coming out. It's coming from the inside out, connecting you with him, reminding you your adoption is sealed. It's done, and you're going to be with him one day, and you're going to see him fully as he is. See, the Spirit of God is the deposit. It's the guarantee in our hearts of things to come. 2 Corinthians 5, 5 says this, Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So what you taste, when you taste the Spirit of God and His goodness, it's a foretaste of the future glory and the future connection and intimacy we will have with God in the new heaven and in the new earth. It's a foretaste of the age to come. The Holy Spirit is a great source of joy and wonder and peace in our life. I've been studying uh, John Wesley a little bit, the father of Methodism and, and just the, uh, there's a whole Wesleyan, you know, movement that in evan- even evangelicalism, modern, evangel- modern evangelicalism came out of John Wesley. And John Wesley wrestled with understanding his salvation. He wrestled, he, he was very unsure of his salvation for a long time. And in fact, his father on his deathbed, I want to read you a quote from his father, Samuel. His father said this directly to John. Here's what he said. He said, John, the inward witness, son, the inward witness, this is the proof. This is the strongest proof of Christianity. And when he said that to John right before he died, John had no idea what the heck he was talking about. He was like, what? The inward witness? He had no clue. But in fact, John Wesley was yet to be saved. He would get converted five, six years later through the influence of the Moravians, by the way. And in that conversion, he would come to understand the inward witness is the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit in you, then you are going to be with God one day in eternity. It is the, the surest assurance we can have that God is with us and we will be with him. And so that's what Samuel was conveying to him by the unction of the Holy Spirit. And, and he figured it out one day. Praise God for John. I was raised Methodist, so I'm very thankful for John Wesley. Now, we can be in this process of knowing things, okay? We, we can know biblical truth. And you know we're all about that here. We're at, at Life Center. We're all about you need to know the word. You have knowledge of God. But the Holy Spirit takes that knowledge and allows it to have application. It helps you to interpret the text. Now, the text interprets itself, but the Spirit of God makes it personal. It gives you the ability to personalize what God has said through his word and to make it real in your life. And it's so important that we have the Holy Spirit in order to actually like experience and, and what's the word, and, and, and almost solidify these truths that we read in the scripture. They're real whether we experience them or not. But man, when you have an experience with the Holy Spirit that puts a thumbprint on your life that, that says this text is real, but you'll, you'll know it. And, and you'll know it to the depth of your heart. 
And you'll come from this. I think some of the lack of joy and wonder is really the lack of the Holy Spirit. It's really like I hear the word and I believe it. God, help me in my unbelief. And the Holy Spirit comes and says, I'll help you in your unbelief. I'll give you an experience that ties to that word that anchors you in that truth so you'll never forget it and you'll believe it to the very end. And so I'll just give you a little story from my own life. I, um, I, I really have dealt with a critical spirit for much of my life. And it's, it's, you know, it's the reason I've been an overachiever. It's the reason I've done some of the things I've done in my life is this critical spirit that has just harassed me. And it is it, a tormenting spirit as well. It's a spirit that says if, if you don't feel, if you don't give everything and feel pain, like you haven't achieved anything. And, and I can tell you that torment is not from God. And so one day I'm, I'm sitting there and I pick up my grandfather's tools. So I get this bunch of tools from my dad it's my grandfather's toolkit, and I pick it up, and it's heavy. I mean, I don't know what was in this thing. It's a lot of steel. Tools used to be heavier than I guess they are today. But I pick it up, and it's heavy. And the Spirit of God speaks to me, I mean, instantly. And is like, your grandfather couldn't carry this weight, and neither can you. And I, I was like, whoa. I mean, I, I put it down, not just because it was heavy. I was like, wow. <laughs> I know that was the Lord. And I was like, Lord, what is it? Like, what am I carrying? And it, and it was this, this striving. It was this, this lack of dependence on God, this independent spirit. I'm going to be critical of myself. I'm going to do it myself. And God said, you got to put that thing down because my grace is sufficient for you. And I said, God, like, I know this is you. God, help me. Like, like help me in my unbelief. Help me to, like, to deliver me from this spirit of torment, from this critical spirit. And so I began seeking the Lord, praying, asking. And wouldn't you know, Jules talked about this last week. God washed me with the water of the word in that moment. The Holy Spirit took the word of God, which I had knowledge of. You got to have the knowledge so he got something to grab onto. And he took it and he began to wash me with it. And this is the verse that I heard the Lord just read over me. He washed me with Matthew 11, 28 through 30. It says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This is Jesus saying this, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. When I read that verse to you today, I feel the power of it because the Spirit of God made it real to me. He gave me an interpretation that was personal. It's connected to the Word, but it's personal to me. And so the Lord wants to do that in you. He, he, he wants to give you that wonder and joy through the word by the spirit of God. And you're going to have, and some of you I know have these, but you're going to have more of these, these experiences with God that make his word even more true and more real and produce wonder and joy. My last point, wonder and joy come from knowing God's coming salvation. So remember I mentioned earlier, salvation is an event. It's also a process. It's also coming. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For those who are being saved, it's a process. Our, our salvation is still happening, and we're experiencing We're experiencing his grace day by day. He's on the right hand of the throne of God, interceding for us to save us in the utmost. And so there is this process of salvation that's a beautiful thing. You know, we were, well, I'll say this real quick. I, I think this, this state, having this state of wonder and, and joy 
connected to not just what you've experienced, but what you know you will experience. Like we've explored sometimes how God saved us now, how his blood and his, and his resurrection have saved us now. But have you explored, I want to ask you, have you explored where he's taking you to? What is his plan for your life? And I, I don't even mean that just here. We should explore that for sure. But what's his plan for your life beyond this age, in the age to come? And, you know, Frank Mason and Kimney, they were, they were leading us on Friday night. And, and they were, the way that they were talking, we were going through, um, we were doing Shabbat together. We were celebrating Yom Terah and talking about, like, the coming of the Lord. At the seventh trumpet, Christ will return. He will return and finish the work he started. That's the, the salvation that we get to enjoy. We'll enjoy it then on a whole nother measure. And even as Frank was sharing about this coming trumpet blast and, and the plans of God for the new heaven and the new earth, I was like, whoa, like, like the joy and the wonder of what God is going to do, it needs to hit us right now. Don't wait to be shocked by it then. He put it in the book now so you would know now where you're going, so you could enjoy it now, and so that it would give you an anchor and also a prayer book. Because when things are happening and it feels off, right, and you're in this war zone that's the earth and your heart is still, you know, messing with you and you've got sin that's lurking around you and you're frustrated, you know, no, this is the plan. This is where things are going. So as Bill and Rich and Jules have been preaching, now I can pray with confidence because I know God's will is for healing, is for deliverance, is for wholeness. The mind, the will, and the emotions, it's all supposed to be whole. How do I know that? Because one day it will be and so why not pray now for any of that that I can get in this life I will I'd like every bit of it and I can pray it in faith because I know God's going to deliver it in its entirety one day and so boy I can rest assured this is God's heart and so we would do well I would encourage you know know what the age to come entails like don't let don't let the book of Revelation scare you like, like, don't let, there's so much prophecy in the Bible that, like, sometimes we just gloss over it because it's like, whoa, that's big and scary, and I don't think I understand that. But it's actually glorious and beautiful. It's actually God triumphing over darkness. It's actually, it's actually judgment on all the evil, wicked things in the earth. And so wouldn't you want to know that so that you could partner with him in what he wants to do on the earth? It's not just about knowing. It's actually about partnership. Um, I want to read real quickly 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, I'm going to skip down. So I'm going to read, I think this is verse 8, but I'm not sure quite what verse this is. Um, 1 Peter chapter 1, I think it's verse 7 or 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with what? With an inexpressible and a glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So though we don't see it, it's good to meditate and think about it. Because it will produce joy and wonder, and actually you begin to delight in your salvation more. Because your salvation is still happening. And there's so much more. And if we have a God who's so good and loving and compassionate that we know right now, how much greater is the salvation that we're going to experience in the new heaven and the new earth? He's going to wipe away every tear from every eye. He's going to make everything right that's gone crooked. 
He is going to shine with the brilliance of the sun. There's not even going to need to be a sun anymore. And, and he is going to be dwell in the midst of his people. How much better is that than now? It's way better than now. But how much more does he want to break in even now with his kingdom? So that we can touch and taste it now. That's why he sought, sent the Holy Spirit. That's why he put the Spirit of God in our hearts. Worship team, could you guys come on up? I want to give you a few practicals here as I'm closing. Um, three action items that I think will help to stay in the state of wonder and joy. Number one, prayerfully read the scriptures. When you read the word, do it in prayer. Say, God, would you come and you speak? Come and come make known these truths. And I want you to pray this. Ask God to astonish you with his word. When you read the word, pray and say, God, astonish me with this text. Even if you read it a million times, the spirit of God is gonna come and make it fresh. He's gonna give you joy and wonder in your salvation. Number two, build friendships with those who walk in joy and wonder on their salvation. Join a life group, like be around. You don't have to figure all this stuff out on your own. You're not meant to. Like, in fact, find people that are dripping with that hope, with that peace and that joy, and ask them what they know. Like, hey, tell me a bit. What, what is your hope in the age to come? What is your hope? Like, what has God done in you to now, and what do you think he will do? Ask them those type of questions, and you start to get more inputs to give you hope and joy and peace and faith in what God is doing and what he's going to do. My last point, become more eschatologically minded. It's a big word, and it just means more minded about the age to come, more minded about, some call it the end times, but Bill was telling me earlier, and it's a good point, the age to come seems a lot more hopeful than the end times, right? Let's just call it that from now on. It's the end of one age, but we're going into another. And there's a fullness that we will experience. And so we got to get those old taglines, those old titles off. Because this is good, what God's doing. He's bringing good things to the earth. It's just going to be judgment. But, oh, there is that. But if you're in Christ, his blood covers you. Amen. Wonder and joy are coming back into the church. Could everybody stand for me, please? Wonder and joy are coming back into the church because of our King Jesus, right? I'm not telling you anything new, anything mind-blowing. This is just what Jesus has done for you and for me. This is just the power of his blood. This is the plan of God that he's already set up before the, before the beginning of time. Even before the earth was begun, Christ already had died for our sins, and God's plan was already figured out. And we're just getting to see it all in motion now but we get to partner with it too. So right, just put your hands out. I just want to pray this over you um, as we close here. God, I pray right now, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would give us revelation knowledge today of your complete rescue of our lives. Lord, would you give us revelation knowledge of the darkness which you've eradicated by your light, of the sin that has plagued us and maybe even plagued us this morning that you paid for. Lord, I thank you for the knowledge and understanding that as far as the east is from the west, so our iniquities have been paid for by your blood. God, I pray 
that we would have understanding of the grace of God. Lord, would you give us revelation knowledge that from start to finish, we've been saved by faith through your grace, Lord. It is your grace that saves and heals and restores, not our efforts. God, I pray for revelation knowledge of the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that your people in this house would know that you dwell with them and that those that don't know you, they would give their heart fully to you today and experience a God who can cleanse and heal and restore and a God who wants to commune and have fellowship, to live in the hearts of men. And God, I pray that you would give us confidence today, assurance of the saving power of your hand, the power not only to save our souls, but to bring us into the new heaven and the new earth. God, would you give us an understanding, Lord, of your perfect plan and will, that you are a redeemer and that you'll redeem the earth and that you'll redeem the brokenness of humanity for all who call on your name. For all who come after you, you have the ability to save to the uttermost. And God, I pray today, would you help us to rejoice? Help us to rejoice. Give us that childlike wonder today. Lord, I pray for anybody here in this room that's feeling weary, downtrodden. Lord, anyone here, Lord, that's been beaten down by the things of the world, whose, whose vision and hope have been circumvented by worldly events, by worldly systems, by worldly experiences. Lord, show them their citizenships in heaven. God, take them above the things they experience now. God, give them fresh hope today for healing, for deliverance, for emotional and spiritual healing. Yeah, those of you with church hurt, those of you with like, like it's like you can't even like connect relationally with the church, like authority figures and like people in the church just like scare the heck out of you. God is going to heal that. You're going to be ha- you're going to have relational healing. You're going to you're going to be able to forge relationships with even with even high leaders and you're going to be able to have peer-to-peer friendships because he's healing you of the emotional trauma of the church hurt of the past. And for those of you that have been you've been waiting and asking the Lord for for healing and for deliverance. The Lord would say it's possible and it's available to you. You don't have to wait for some of these things. They are available to you in this life. So, Lord, I pray that you would give them fresh confidence and courage, that you are a healer and you are a deliverer, that those nagging, we just speak to those nagging spiritual demonic assignments, and we say they will no longer nag you. They will no longer be at your, at your door. Lord, that you would send them across the street, over the way, and just go ahead and send them to the pit of hell. Lord, that they, those demonic assignments would have no hold on these children of God. They would walk in freedom mind, heart, and even their very will would be controlled by you. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.